Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver, coming to you live globally on our 25 global networks, 24-7, iTunes Radio, iHeart, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, and number three on Feedspot out of thousands. And we have a specially good show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Of course we do. <laughs> yes, MJ we do. MJ Vogel, three <laughs> habits for radical success and accomplish everything you ever wanted. MJ is a high-performance transforma- transformation coach who has and continues to have chronic illnesses. Uh, she uh, had 12 surgeries back-to-back, ouch, including brain surgery, and her brain does not fit inside her skull. You'd never notice by looking at her. (laughs) And the condition is incurable. She was also hit by a truck when she was 15 years old that led to her need of ample surgeries and treatments. But before we get started, I want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Peter Levine. He's an educator, uses books, magazines, articles, columns, columns and blogs and seminars, and he lectures all over the place. And you can hear that uh, interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, as well as all the other 25 platforms that I mentioned. All right, enough of that. What mem- MJ, <laughs> welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited about today's show. It's going to be great. Yes, and I met MJ on this new cutting-edge latest app called Clubhouse. And Adrian, I just turned her on to it, and we tried to go on the other day, and we we just got a little bit to where she's learning her, and we're going to go on again. And I'm potchkeying a little. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was I was talking to MJ about it. Uh, I says, are you addicted to it yet? She goes, well, I'm trying to use it and not let it use me because any kind of social media can be addicting. I mean, some of these people are on there 20 hours a day. I don't think yeah. they have a life. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> or maybe it's on in the background while they're working and this and that. But, you know, you can overdo it. But mm-hmm. it's a great source of networking, isn't it, MJ? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's amazing. You can connect with some of the biggest power players on there. So I think it's going to be a complete game changer. And having Elon Musk on there a couple of weeks ago, too, I think just further certifies like how strong of an app this is going to be for connecting business professionals. Yeah, and Kevin, uh, Mr. Wonderful, and Damien was on there the other day. And, and so uh, you can go to big rooms or small rooms or whatever you like. The question and is, think- how long will it stay that way? Yeah. I don't know. How, this is the beta version. On, so so on, you throw yeah, in your, your suggestions and they're taking suggestions. You don't want it overpopulated. Yeah. yeah. You want it, you know. Well, I, I'm sure that there's ways that you can uh, limit the size of the room. It's 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 just, they're just figuring it out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I hope they make all the right decisions. Anyway, we like to ask our guest, MJ, um, why, first of all, who is MJ? Vogel, am I pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vogel? And mm-hmm. why was she placed on this earth? That's your first question. <laughs> That's a tough one. So I'm a motivational speaker that focused on habit implementation. And my big thing is, my big why is, and I came up with this when I was like 15 years old, if not 14 years old. I came from a lot of adversity, a lot of challenges in my life. And I decided that I was going to come up with a mission statement in life that was going to help me with facing future challenges Uh-oh. and really defining my why as to why I was on this planet. So my thing as to why I think I was put on this planet is to show anybody and everybody that they can do anything they put their minds to, regardless to other people's opinions, limitations, or oppressions, that hurt people hurt people, and that you can make something beautiful out of that by becoming the best version of yourself. 
So that's what I think I was put on this planet to do, is to help people with seeing their potential and also helping people understand that, that adversities are required. Unfortunately, they're not going away. It's a matter of what we're going to do with them. So um, you have a medical history and you have a background. Let's talk about that. Um, I, I briefly mentioned it. Um, it. It's unbelievable. Start from the beginning and tell us uh, about your medical history. Yeah, so at the age nine, I got into a car accident, and ever since then, I've had challenges with, like, dyslexia. Ever since then, I've had massive migraines. And at the age of 25, after I got done working up to four jobs, putting myself through college and building my first business, I was diagnosed with a condition called Chiari malformation. They didn't know that that was what was causing my migraines from the age nine up, so it took them 16 years of trying to figure this out. And when they found it, they were convinced, and they still don't know to this day, if the misdiagnosis of that created a stroke, because I've got the symptoms of somebody who had suffered a stroke. And what that is, and you kind of hit the nail on the head, Dave, is your brain does not fit into your skull. So that means every single time your heart beats, it's beating into your skull, every single heartbeat, to the point where it developed a slab of scar tissue from beating into my skull repeatedly. There is no cure for the condition. All they can do is brain surgeries for treatments. Yeah, so they, when they found out that I had Chiari malformation, they said I showed symptoms of a stroke. They don't know if I had a stroke or not, just based on the nerve damage and the neurological damage that was done from there. And after that, I had to get about 11 additional surgeries for spinal fluid leaks to avoid them from cauterizing or removing the back part of my brain. So it's wow. been a very ungodly painful situation and surprisingly the spinal fluid leak surgeries were worse than the brain surgery because they kept you awake while they injected blood and glue into your right. spinal cord no painkillers nothing because you had to tell them when it got physically unbearable because if it didn't the surgery didn't work if it got past physically unbearable i could have gotten paralysis or potential fatalities mm -hmm. so very not fun experience at all with any yeah. of those surgeries how, how old were you um, I first started getting treated at 25, so the last surgery I had was in um, January 2017, so I think about 27, almost 28. Wow. Yeah, Adrian shares migraines with you as well. Uh, are you on some medication to help them uh, become more manageable? I try really hard to avoid medication as much as possible. And one thing I learned when I first started rebuilding things and doing habit implementation is I said, okay, for me to fix this, I need to see what pain I'm dealing with here. So I tried very hard. I, I just kind of cut back on everything as much as I could of my doctor's orders as much as possible. So very few, very rarely will I take migraine medication um, or I'm not on any um, pain, extreme painkillers just because I want to make sure that I'm trying to manage my health in a more holistic fashion, which was very, very mm. difficult to build up to. But every once in a while, I go to the doctor and get a, a, a shot of Toradol to try to take down the inflammation if it gets too bad. Do you keep a journal of, uh, of symptoms and, and triggers? Um, I do more mentally now. That was something that I used to really do because what I did was I was like, okay, I'm going to start building habit implementation around this chronic illness to figure out what can I do to right. kind of control this. Because, I mean, it's out of our control. Adversity is going to punch us in the face one way or another. But we mm -hmm. can figure out how we can adapt, how we can prevent it from happening again. So what I used to do is what I call selective amnesia. I would go through and recap everything that I maybe did that helped create that pain that mm -hmm. previous day. And then I would lock that down and try to do a habit that prevents that from happening again. And then I would try to forget that the flare-up day ever happened because when you're mm – -hmm on cloud nine doing great and then the next day bedridden not able to move it can really mess with your psyche it can really yeah. make you not want to do anything how often does it happen you know it happens probably like once a week it has been a pretty bad and challenging week for me personally um so i think i had about three bad days last week but currently it's only maybe one day a week and sometimes it's it's something I feel like I have to create very intentionally. So I do what I call flare-up Friday. And what that is is I also have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is connected to Chiari malformation and spinal fluid leaks. What that is is where your joints and your bones separate spontaneously. Right. 
The only thing you can do to calm that down, from my understanding, is full body braces and also building muscle mass that will kind of help with holding your joints and the bones in the right spot. So I'll do physical therapy, I'll do exercises, I'll go to the gym, and I'll lift weights, and sometimes it's necessary for me to create a flare-up to get less flare-ups. And that's how I've worked into building and getting in shape. I used to be very overweight, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and work out for 10 minutes. I'm going to do it on a Friday because I'm going to be jacked up Saturday and Sunday, and it's going to reduce my flare-ups. I used to have a flare-up day like every day or every other day. So it's something where I'm at now was very intentionally and deliberately built by sometimes having to create a flare-up day. So yeah. if I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't have a flare-up day every every yeah. week, but it's necessary for the greater good long-term. My wife was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos, and so was uh, her daughter. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, Adrian, I'm sure you've got some uh, advice that uh, possibly give to her to maybe ease her uh, pain, because I know you've been doing this for years, and you've tried Since everything I'm four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> what would you recommend yeah, for her? I know you're well, not a doctor. Well, I mean, I, take, I have to take medication because I was getting – I was getting chronic migraines like four or five a week, um, mm -hmm. and they started, they, they went away in my 30s, and right after I was 40, they came back with a vengeance, mm. and uh, he saw, you know, between Botox and, and Amavig, which is one of the new miracle drugs, uh, mm. I'm very lucky. I've 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 been pretty well headache free for I don't want to curse it, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> for about a year and a half now. So that's that's, awesome. like, that's a miracle. I mean Yeah. Absolutely. That's so awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I tried everything and uh I had to get off a lot of the old migraine medications because I was you can't take them as frequently as I needed them so we tried yeah. the just the Botox and we're waiting and waiting and waiting for all of these new these new types of drugs to come out yeah so I got lucky that's good. Yeah, I tried Botox. It didn't work for my situation, but I mean, it's it's different for everybody, right? Whatever's going to work for one person, whether it's habit implementation, prescriptions, books, it's all different for every person on what's going to work for them. So right. I'm really glad that it worked for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, you're very fortunate as a stroke uh, survives or that you have no symptoms of stroke, paralysis, speech uh, impediment, uh, and all of that stuff, aphasia, et cetera. Like my wife, she still cannot talk, but she can communicate non-verbally, mm -hmm. do Pictionary charades, do, do games <laughs> I'm still working on because I really suck at them, and she has a power chair because her right side is still pra uh, paralyzed. So you have many blessings. Um, how else do you uh, have you learned to work around your chronic illness besides what you've just already mentioned? It's very much mindset related. So for me personally, the biggest... I mean, let's be honest, 2020 is a great example, whether you struggle with chronic illness or not. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned with chronic illness and also helped me with 2020 is adversity is going to happen. It's just a matter of how your mindset's going to process that adversity. And what I learned is, yeah, my body got weak when I got ill. It did. But I also let my mind get weak. So I try very, mm -hmm. very hard to be very intentional with my mindset. It's very difficult to somebody with chronic illness when your body's literally attacking you to be able to go into the marketplace as a business owner, to be able to go out into the world where things are going to be like everything's going to be challenging to some extent. Right. To be able to be okay with that and be able to defend yourself in the marketplace or what have you when you're trying to fight your own body off. So I try very hard to control my mindset. I try to do affirmations in the morning. I try to do my morning routine very particular, very intense on meditation, very particular and system based on how I'm going to handle it, journals, all of those things that work for me personally to help control my mindset so I can handle it when my body is attacking me. Yep. So, yeah, you're a survivor. And uh, a lot of people who complain about this or that, you know, it could always be worse. Someone 
could always have something worse than you, so just be thankful for what you do have and that it's not worse. That's my attitude. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I agree with you. And also, I would say, to piggyback on that a little bit, I'm definitely not perfect by any means. And I fall off the wagon, get ran over by the wagon all the time. So what I would say is it definitely could be worse, and it could be worse than what I've got. But a big thing that motivates me is understanding that I am blessed. I am lucky. I could have died multiple times before and after that surgery from the car accidents, from being undiagnosed with this Chiari malformation. And what gets me going and what keeps me going is not the fact that adversity has gone away. It hasn't. But it's a motivating factor to understand that it could be worse. And I have a responsibility in honor of those that have Chiari malformation or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome or that are way worse than I am health-wise that I know are still better and that are getting 30 brain surgeries back-to-back -to, -back to make something great out of the blessing that I have. One of my favorite quotes by Grant Cardone is he says, we're, you, we know you're blessed. Now go and show the world that you're blessed. So I want to go and show people that I am fortunate, that I am here and make something beautiful yeah. out of it in honor of those that are no longer here. You're an encouragement. Um, depression is often something that's associated with anyone with uh, an illness and Caregivers have a lot to be depressed about because that's who our audience is mostly, or they're dealing with depressed people caring for them. And and um, what's your opinion of um, depression and antidepressants? Yeah, I mean, for me as well, you talked on the you know caregivers. So I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my husband. He definitely helped keep the pieces of our life together as much as possible when everything was really hitting the fan. So. For me personally, I think that it's extremely important to be connected with one another between the person that's struggling with the illness as well as the caregiver and understand that that impact of depression, of anxiety, of fear is not just impacting the person that's going through the adversity or in my case, you know, the chronic illness. But I think depression is, is extremely important. Somebody I like to study a lot is Dr. Joe Dispenza and he talks about the importance of your mental health and your neurological connections with your body. And I find the more I stress, the more anxiety I have, the more I maybe not be in the best mental space because of a hard day at work or what have you, the more it impacts my body. I can tell that difference on a flare-up day pretty easily. I'm like, okay, I had too much stress yesterday. So for me personally, I think depression is very important for us to look at as we're talking about trying to work around chronic illness and very important to address however you want to address it, whether it's antidepressants, whether it's holistically, whether it's a combination of both. I think it's very important to address it. And I would say to the people that are listening to this that you deserve to address it. You deserve to take care of it. You deserve to be happy. However you decide to make that happen for yourself, you deserve to have it. So a lot of my... Uh people will tell me that they don't want to take any drugs but when you have depression you know an antidepressant can really be like a lifesaver mm -hmm. but unfortunately um, many of them think that it's like a, a recreational drug it'll make them feel you know groggy or unnatural or whatever and so <laughs> I tell them no we're just reestablishing the balance the chemical imbalance in the brain making you feel normal again yeah. you agree with that do you have anything to to tell people because I mean you even said I don't like to take drugs and this isn't really a drug is it I mean for me personally it's a matter of what works for you so I'm a firm believer in figuring out what works for each person when I was trying to get off of drugs the big thing I was trying to be very cognizant of was painkillers because I realized I could not fix a hole in the wall if I couldn't see it so that entire summer, what I did was I was like, okay, I'm going to get off painkillers and I'm going to try to see where the holes all are in the wall of my life, of my physical body, so I can see, okay, do you need more surgeries? Do you need more treatments? Is there something you can do holistically? Is there a habit you can do to build around this? But I try to be very cognizant of not telling people not to take prescription, whether it's painkillers or whether it's depressants, because it's a matter of what works for you. And if an antidepressant or a painkiller works for you, namaste to you. You deserve not to be in a lot of pain. I would just encourage you to also understand that you can create that reality of whether it's pain or what have you, also within your own power to some extent. But if you need to do both, do both. I know a lot of people that have been on antidepressants. I've been on antidepressants. No shame in that by any means because you got to make sure you take care of yourself. 
And a lot of times when you struggle with chronic illness or maybe you're taking care of someone with chronic illness, there's this feeling of you don't deserve to be happy. And I just wanted to get once again, want to say you do deserve to be happy. And if that's taking a prescription, there's no freaking shame in that. The world's brutal. <laughs> like, go out there and take care of yourself. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Listen, I'm going to take another break from our sponsor. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey, all you California caregivers out there. I want to tell you about an important project from UCLA that's all about bringing caregivers some relief and finding solutions to the ongoing caregiving crisis. You already know that caregivers are stretched way too thin. But did you also know that California will need 600,000 more caregivers and home care workers in the next 10 years? To meet this growing demand, we need to change our caregiving system now. How can you make this happen? Well, if you've hired a home care worker, or have a loved one who has lived or is living in up to a six-bed board and care facility in California, you can share your experiences in a short 15-minute survey. The results of this survey will help us fight for family caregivers to get the support they need. Every eligible participant will get a free $10 gift card. So make your voice heard now. Make a difference and earn a few dollars at the same time. To take the survey and learn more, go to CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. That's CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. Thanks. Back, so don't go away. Bye-bye. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope not just cope. And we're back with our guest, MJ Vogel, and I'm Dave Nassani. And um, I want to talk about, uh, you came to a point where you decided that you wanted to not just survive, but to thrive this chronic illness. Tell us about that. Yeah, it came from a really depressing moment where I tried to get on disability um, and it didn't work out. Basically, they said, hey, you need to earn, I think it was less than $10,000 for two years. Um, and that's not attainable unless I'm going to move back in with my parents. Um, and also, you know, I was I earned too much the previous year, even though I was bedridden and spending all that freaking money on medical bills. So once I realized, like, okay, disability is not going to happen, that was, you know, mark number one to try to change something. Mark number two for me was when there was a gal, she was 17 years old, struggled with um, Chiari malformation, had surgery, and then didn't wake up. The next, um, the next day after her high school graduation, spontaneously. She was doing fine with the surgery. She was doing great. But then all of a sudden, she just didn't wake up. And I realized I had this epiphany of like, okay, one, no one's going to come and save you. Like, no one's going to come and get you out of this situation. Also, on top of that, there's people that aren't making it. What are you going to do about this? And it really made me realize on the step number three on this, the life mission statement that I mentioned in the beginning of this, it made me realize like, hey, you said this mission statement years ago that was bracing you for when adversity hits. Did you really mean it or were you just full of it? And it was that real like aha moment and kind of that self-talk and that realization of are you going to make something out of this? Are you going to own up to that mission statement? Are you going to just allow yourself to get beat down by this adversity? Or are you going to try to make something out of it? Yeah, that's true. Um, 
the impacts of chronic illness on your relationships? How how have you been managing those? It was challenging. I mean, on the friendship basis, I feel like you sometimes lose a lot of friends because they don't know how to act um, or react to the situation. I had some people that were like, hey, we love you a lot, but they didn't feel, and even family, they were like, we didn't know what to do, so we just didn't show up for this brain surgery because, mm. you know, and it's a lot. It's a lot to go through. And what I realized with that is like, okay, sometimes people don't show up because they don't love you. It's because they're also mourning what you're going through as well. Yeah. And they're showing up for you the best that they possibly know how. So that's how it kind of changed things on the friendship level is I had more empathy and understanding for that. And then I also realized like who were my true friends that were not going to judge me if I was bedridden and had to change plans which happens still to this day pretty often. I had to reschedule something just a couple weekends ago because I was like, I'm going to be bedridden um, if I go and do this trip. I know my body well enough to know that. So it helped with that. But with you know my significant other, it made me really realize one big thing was I realized that I wasn't the only one going through it. And it's very difficult when you're getting back-to-back -back surgeries to realize that you're not in this alone and that there's also a mourning or a challenging process that they're going through as well that is very difficult and that you're going in it together and you have to understand that and have empathy for that person as well. Yeah, that's so true. Um, well, I'm glad you see that because there are so many people who are chronically ill or have long-term illness of them, yeah. that, that do not... See, you know, they just want to be catered to. They they don't feel the the discomfort and ill at easeness and all of the repercussions that happen with the caregiver. So, yeah. kudos. Yeah, and 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 even caregivers. You know, I I tell people all the time that because uh, that's a common uh, complaint from them is that uh, all my friends are gone. They don't come by, and I I ask a few deep probing questions and it's because they're unloading on them you know they're mm -hmm. they're t when they do call or when they do come by all you are doing is telling them what a rotten day you had and how you know your loved one you know did such and such and this and that well they don't want to hear that they want to be yeah. uplifted save yeah. all of that stuff for your caregiver support group or whatever support group have you been to any support groups oh so yeah to answer your question i've been in a couple groups there's been quite a few chronic illness groups that have been very helpful but i agree with you what your point a hundred percent it's it's you know you can't unload on someone something that that i'll share as well in my opinion that i want people that are listening to chronic illness is this or that are listening to caretakers your ability to see someone else's pain and struggling that they're going through does not decredit or devalidate your pain, your experience, and your suffering. I know as someone with chronic illness, one of the biggest pain points is a lack of being seen. It took me, if you follow the timeline, 16 years for them to figure out what was causing my migraine. 16 years, and by the time they found it, I couldn't move my right hand and my right foot was a claw and I couldn't remember how to get home. It created serious damage how many years it was misdiagnosed for. But that being said, it was very disheartening how much they ignored me. But by me becoming what hurt me, by ignoring other people's needs, other people's pain, the same way that the doctors did to me, that's not going to do any good. So I would encourage people, whether you're the spouse of someone with chronic illness or you have chronic illness, understand that this is not a match of who's hurting more. This is a match of you guys being together and you honoring that person's pain isn't going to dismiss the pain that you're in or that you're feeling. Yeah, that is so true. Um, I I always like to say, you know, my wife did not want to go to support groups because uh, it made her feel not normal. You know, mm -hmm. you want to feel normal, and it, a lot of people, like you said, don't know how what to say. You know, they don't know how to act around a grieving person or a or disabled person, um, so they just kind of uh, they say the wrong thing. But mm -hmm. just be normal. You know, uh, everyone just wants to be around normal people. Um, if you used to go uh, sailing with somebody, continue to go sailing with them. If you used to go to the movies, continue. If you used to get your nails done or whatever, just keep doing what was normal because everybody likes to be normal, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And if you yeah. can't do those things, I would just say be honest with it. So there are some things I can't do anymore, but the fact that yeah. I'm honest, 
and I, I'm like, hey, I really want to spend yeah. time with you. I just can't do that. It helps a lot. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take another quick break, so we'll be right back. Hey, all you California caregivers out there. I want to tell you about an important project from UCLA that's all about bringing caregivers some relief and finding solutions to the ongoing caregiving crisis. You already know that caregivers are stretched way too thin. But did you also know that California will need 600,000 more caregivers and home care workers in the next 10 years? To meet this growing demand, we need to change our caregiving system now. How can you make this happen? Well, if you've hired a home care worker or have a loved one who has lived or is living in up to a six-bed board and care facility in California, you can share your experiences in a short 15-minute survey. The results of this survey will help us fight for family caregivers to get the support they need. Every eligible participant will get a free $10 gift card. So make your voice heard now. Make a difference and earn a few dollars at the same time. To take the survey and learn more, go to CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. That's CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. Thanks. And we're back with MJ Vogel and Adrian Gruberg, and we're talking about a lot of different things, chronic illness, yeah. grief. Um, so let's talk about what you learn, right? Uh, remember the Wizard of Oz? So what have you learned, Dorothy, <laughs> while trying to make something great? Yeah, I think one big thing that I learned is that you can't go back to who you used to be before the adversity. So, I mean, I was I was very driven, very able to work. I worked up to four jobs and put myself through college. So what I learned is I was kept trying to go back to who I was before the brain surgery. And I was mad. I was angry. I was resentful that I couldn't go back in time to who I was beforehand. So one big thing that I learned is you cannot go back in time. But good news, that person that was that old version of you probably wouldn't be able to handle tomorrow's adversity. Right. The ca your capabilities completely change. Yeah. When, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you learn something from that. So you don't want to go back in time to be the old version of yourself. And then I'd say the next thing that I learned is the importance of relying on other people. Um, I was extremely stubborn, like so stubborn. I didn't want to ask for anyone's freaking help ever. <laughs> but I had to learn that my skill set, like my ability has changed some. That what I was strong at then is no longer my skill set now. I can't work 20 hours a day. I can't work four jobs. But what I can do is I can empathize with people. I can motivate people. I can inspire people. There's other skill sets that I didn't tap into that I was unaware of because I was too busy doing everything myself that I realized, hey, I can encourage other people. I can motivate. I can inspire other people. I can delegate. I can run a lot of things even when I'm bedridden, if I properly delegate and do so and empower individuals in a way that's not like, hey, go do this now, but in a way that makes them feel good as well. You know, you have the same problems that caregivers have. They hate asking for help. You know, should know better. But I, I almost cut my thumb off down to the bone here because I was doing something at work and I needed somebody to hold the other end of, of this big, long piece of molding. I was using a skill saw, and I know how to use a skill saw. I knew I needed someone to hold it, but I didn't ask for help. Why not? You know, there's many reasons. We don't want to feel indebted to people. We don't want people to think that, oh, you know, I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm feeling weak. I mean, there are a host of reasons why people don't want to do it. But the bottom line is that you're different now. You need help now. Nobody can make it without help. No caregiver can. No person who's disabled can. So just swallow your pride and just ask for the gosh darn help, you know? Exactly. And I mean, it's something, there's one thing, I don't know if you guys have studied Jordan Peterson, but he. I was watching a video of his yesterday, and it was the 42 rules of life. Uh, versus 42, the, huh? Yeah, so it was like all of the rules that he wrote that he um, condensed down in the 12. And one of them was ask for a favor so that other people feel comfortable asking for a repeat favor. Repeat that as well. again. Repeat that he again. Said, he said out. ask ask for a favor so other people feel comfortable asking for a favor from you as well. Meaning oh. that when you ask for help, there's some kind of humanity connection that comes. There's some human bond. There's a vulnerability that comes that allows them to understand they also can trust you and go right. back and 
ask for help for you as well. That's something that I never got beforehand. Mm. I always thought that asking for help was something that was terrible, but something that I learned is sometimes when you ask for a favor <laughs> or you ask for help, you're like, hey, you're opening a door for someone to give back to the world. And I mean, as a caregiver, it feel, doesn't it feel great sometimes when you give back, whether it's to the community, sure. to something? Why do you want to dishonor someone's ability to feel that? So that was a huge switch in my head. Yeah. It can be very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and sometimes that's all you have. It's just helping other people. I mean, that's why I became the caregiver's caregiver because now, uh, you know, I, I grieved. We went through two and a half years of hell. We almost broke up, my wife and I. And all of a sudden I started realizing there are other caregivers out there who are feeling lost and alone and lonely, and I didn't want them to give up like I almost gave up. Yeah. And so that's and that makes me feel good, and that's why I do, it. and that's why Adrian's doing it. I mean, why does she do what she does? Why is that, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we ask ourselves that. <laughs> I do it because when I was going through it, um, it didn't exist, and I wanted to make oh. sure that there could be a place that uh, people could just go and vent and be private, as private as they wanted to be, as open yeah. as they wanted to be, totally anonymous if they wanted to be, and uh, just give them the freedom to uh, ask for help from strangers. Yeah. And, MJ, uh, I'm, I'm sure I don't have to worked. tell MJ this, but uh, you know, I know we all sometimes say, why am I doing this? Am I making any difference in the world? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, do you get to places like that too? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult sometimes. You feel like what you're doing doesn't matter. You know, you feel like no matter with all the adversity that's going on in the world or has gone in the world with the fact it's incurable, sometimes you just feel like, hey, everything that I'm doing doesn't matter. But it's a butterfly effect that really helps with, you know, realizing that you do make a difference. And for me, I'm all about potential. So I want to know when I leave this planet, I don't want to feel a lack or a remorse that I didn't give it everything that I had. I know when I was heading off to that brain surgery, that was painful. Yeah, the spinal fluid leak surgeries were painful, but the most painful thing is the night, the day when I was leaving to go and get my brain surgery. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. We were going there for a 5 a.m. surgery. The pain and remorse that I felt that morning and the night before, knowing that I opted out of what I wanted to do as a motivational speaker and an author, and I potentially was going to run out of time. So that is what I want to do. I want to fulfill my potential, and that's what keeps me motivated even when I feel like what I'm doing maybe doesn't matter. See, we're back to the very first question I asked you. Why were mm -hmm. you placed on this earth? Right? <laughs> we all have a purpose. We all have a destiny. Some people need to get in touch with their destiny. What um, If you had to go back, <laughs> I ask myself this question all the time, uh, <laughs> what would I have done differently if you know I knew when the paramedics asked me, you know, where should I take your wife, and I let them make the decision instead of making it myself, what things I would change? What things would you go back and tell yourself, uh, you know, when you first got diagnosed? When I first got diagnosed, I would have probably told myself to um, go and research the top specialist that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. I was very, very, very fortunate, um, and obviously no medical advice on here, but my understanding is there was only about five neurosurgeons in the United States that truly understood Chiari malformation. Now, the reason of that being is because it was found in the 1900s and at a 100% fatality rate, so they stopped treating it. The guy who tried it was trying to treat it was killing everyone, and they mm -hmm. just kept passing away. So they kind of brushed Chiari malformation under the rug. It got treated as migraines. It got treated as multiple sclerosis. It got just basically completely shifted underneath the rug until MRI imaging came about, and they started realizing that something was wrong. So the uh -huh. education for the doctors is very, very slim. So I should have went and found the top specialist. I was very, very lucky that when I got surgery that it did not create further problems for me due to undiagnosed Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So when they went in there and did the brain surgery due to Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, it could have caused further problems due to the dura not being able to be fully sealed and also further problems on that due to the connective tissue disorder. So I would have went back and told myself, hey, you know, it's, you, you need to go find a specialist and take your time on this as much as you can. And then the next thing I would tell myself is you need to take care of yourself and slow it down some. You're not going to be who you were before. 
So don't rush it. I mean, within a couple of weeks, I was trying to go back to my old life. And it was a terrible idea. I should have slowly went into things. Um, so I better healed and probably would have caused the surgery to take better. Mm. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to take another break from our sponsor, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey, all you California caregivers out there. I want to tell you about an important project from UCLA that's all about bringing caregivers some relief and finding solutions to the ongoing caregiving crisis. You already know that caregivers are stretched way too thin. But did you also know that California will need 600,000 more caregivers and home care workers in the next 10 years? To meet this growing demand, we need to change our caregiving system now. How can you make this happen? Well, if you've hired a home care worker or have a loved one who has lived or is living in up to a six-bed board and care facility in California, you can share your experiences in a short 15-minute survey. The results of this survey will help us fight for family caregivers to get the support they need. Every eligible participant will get a free $10 gift card. So make your voice heard now. Make a difference and earn a few dollars at the same time. To take the survey and learn more, go to CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. That's CaliforniaCareSurvey.org. Thanks. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial. I don't believe this is happening. Anger. Oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this? To depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. And we're back with MJ Vogel, our guest, and Adrian Guberg, my co-host. And as we wrap up this last stretch of uh, the show, let's talk about mindset strategies. I'm sure you've got some. You're a coach. Uh, tell us what you do and how you uh, conquer your chronic illness with mindset strategies and other things. And one thing that um, really held me back when I first got diagnosed, I think this would resonate with people that are maybe not chronically ill but are the caregivers, is I refuse to honor my own emotions. Every time that a bad emotion would come up, I'd cram it underneath the rug, and I'm like, it doesn't exist, I promise. So what I started doing is I started keeping a journal, logging my emotions and going through them and honoring them myself. Now, this isn't a permission to go down a pity party or feel bad for yourself, but to really go through and say, okay, what are you feeling right now? How can you react to this feeling? And how would that generate, what result would that generate, and what do you want to do? That helps a lot with moving the emotions into action so you're not stuck in them. And that's one thing I really try to do when I coach with people or also on a day-to-day -day basis because adversity is real. It's difficult, whether you're a caregiver or you're someone with chronic illness. And it's important to validate your emotions and put them into action. If you don't honor your emotion, it will stay and just haunt you. you got to work through those. And then another thing that I try to do for mindset is I'm very big on visualization. I sometimes find myself struggling with vision boards and creating and visualizing something when your whole body hurts. It's very difficult to do so, in my opinion. But what I do is I create little mini vision boards on whether it's TikTok app or some other kind of platform. And I try to create vision boards that have visualizations to what I want to experience and also music that supports that and gets me motivated. Those are two things that I try to do on a regular basis, if not a daily basis, to help me with mindset. You have some success stories other caregivers could relate to and say, wow, I don't think she can help me with this. But, you know, sometimes just telling a story can, can just help people to realize that maybe coaching is for them. So success stories, I'm sorry, you cut out there a little bit. I'm sorry, success stories uh, about... Um, some of your clients that uh, yeah. would help caregivers to 
you know, warm up to the idea of coaching because you know, some of them just, oh, no, I would never do that. I would never, I don't need a coach or whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, I would say that nobody needs a coach, but it's kind of like a um, a shortcut to success. So I view it kind of like when it comes to, I used to play a lot of video games when I was younger, the kind of manual that you can go through and be like, hey, how do I beat this boss that keeps like beating me every single game? And it's kind of that cheat code. It's kind of that success map. So I would encourage people, no, no matter who it is that you're working with, whether it's myself or someone else, get a coach. If you can't afford a coach, get a book and be mentored by people that way. Find someone that has the answers. Smart people learn from their mistakes. Geniuses learn from the mistakes of others. But for success stories that I've worked with, I've helped people with overcoming addiction. I've helped people with chronic illnesses find a way to patch their relationship with their spouse and work around their disability and get back into the workforce. I've helped people with starting their businesses and getting a patent. I've helped people with increasing their sales up to 30% within a couple of weeks. And what's really great about that is almost all of those success stories are based on the same exact habits and systems, the same exact patterns for each individual. Yeah, well, that's that brings up another point. You know, a lot of caregivers are losing money. They had to quit their jobs. Maybe they were fired. And maybe they're trying to start a, a home-based business or a computer-based business or something in their garage. Any advice for them how they can uh, come up with an idea? Sometimes just coming up with an idea is hard. Yeah, I would say for them personally, when you lose your job, and I say this humbly as someone who's lost their job before, when you're going through adversity, whether it's monetary or something else, you have to prove to yourself that you can break that limitation. So the first thing that I would tell someone that if maybe they're struggling economically is you need to change your philosophy with money. Now, I don't mean go read a book about money. I mean take action about money. So go and find something in your house today and sell it. I don't care if you sell it for five bucks, for ten bucks. I don't care what you do. I used to cram friggin' old purses in the back of my trunk and sell them during <laughs> coffee meetings. You got to do whatever you need to do. But if you do that, it proves to yourself like, hey, I can make money. Hey, I'm not reliant on this job. Hey, I'm not reliant on this economy. I am self-created. And that will help you with finding the idea. A lot of people looking for the perfect idea in business will never find the perfect idea because they don't have any action that's helping them create so they're stuck in victimhood mode, or they find the idea and they never accomplish the idea because they don't take any action. What a great idea. You know, nothing like jumping into uh, action. And uh, if you had something in your house, you know, go sell it. And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to drive around looking for somebody. You can put an ad in the paper or put an ad on the Internet, right? Mm -hmm. What's the best yeah. way of selling something in your house? Um, let go or offer up are two very prominent apps and then Facebook Marketplace. So if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks a lot about people going on a Craigslist, getting free items and flipping them on Facebook Marketplace. So you can go get a free item off Craigslist if you don't want to sell anything in your house. But that is an easy turn just to listen on those three apps, Facebook, let go or offer up. So Craigslist is still around, huh? Maybe mm -hmm. not in newspaper yeah. form. Yeah. Cool. Well, that, those are a lot of great ideas. What if somebody wants to buy your book? Tell us about your book again. Yeah, so my book's free. I'll send you over the link. But what it is the book is, is the top... free. How are you going to make yeah. any money that way? <laughs> you know, it, my whole uh. thing is I want people to transform their lives. And if they want some help further on this, this is just the top three habits uh. that I found with um, the two-year period. I rebuilt my life by doing a habit a week for two years straight. So this book is the top three habits that I found within that two-year period. So it's completely free to you guys. Um, and I've got master courses and master class that build on that. But my wow. ebook's a complete gift to you guys for how you transform your life and get into that process and also reprogram your mind a little bit. Wow, that's a good deal. So how can they get the free book? Yeah, so I sent over the link, and I'll drop it in the comment section below, um, or they can just DM me on all social media at um, MJ Vogel Inspire, um, for, and I can send them over the link. And for those of you uh, out there who don't know what um, Clubhouse is, right now it's in beta form, right? You've got to have an iPhone, and you've got to be uh, invited. Um, I'll give you a, a chance to do a little plug for um for Clubhouse, because if if you are selling, a lot of people selling things on there. I know some people don't like that, but it is a good place to meet people with like-minded things. And 
if you are selling something and somebody needs something, I mean, I guess it's okay to, to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Explain what Clubhouse is for those who've never heard of it. Yeah, so Clubhouse is an audio-only based social media platform, and what's really great about that is you get access to the rooms of the people you follow. So if you're following people that are into music, you're going to see you, a You cut out again. You get access to what? To the rooms of the people that you follow. So if you follow people that are in music, you're going to see a lot of music-related rooms. If you follow rooms of people or people that are in entrepreneurship, you're going to get access to a lot of top producers, a lot of top performers, and get direct access, if you play your cards right, to be able to talk to them and talk about your business, ask questions, or connect with them. So it's a great platform for building relationships and breaking down that barrier of entry to people that you thought maybe you were never going to be able to talk to that can make complete life changers. Cut out again. Uh, access to people what? That are complete life changers that maybe you thought you'd never be able to talk to. Well, thank you, MJ, for so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad I met you in Clubhouse. I'll see you again there, and you'll probably yeah. be seeing Adrian. Uh, I keep telling her we need to start a caregiving uh, page, or no, i got to get the legal yeah. right. Caregiving room, and, uh, you know, maybe something like, uh, what's bothering you today, caregivers, or something like that. And yeah. that could be a support group, you know. I mean, the, the limit, it's just limitless. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to be running a clubhouse room tonight about conquering chronic illness. So it's, okay. it's limitless on what you can do there. I was going to ask you, uh, in public speaking, um, who is your audience primarily? Pr primarily, I focus on entrepreneurs and business people um, for the most part. I'm still, I consider myself to be very business savvy. So I think that my adversity helps me with relating to people with conquering their mindset but it's not my major talking point. I normally, uh, yeah, so I normally. Acting, you're acting normal. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I do. We're all normal. Different yeah. Normal. That's New all. normal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do um, a lot of chronic illness. Like I'm doing a bikini competition in June, and then last year I did a 100-mile bike race. I do a lot of those things to try to raise awareness for um, Chiari malformation and EDS um, as well. So I try to commingle the two. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing. Take it in and let it out. Keep Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.